All right. Well, thanks for having me, Tommy. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I like to sum it up by saying I'm an anxiety expert because I have so many different titles. It's a bit of a mouthful. I'm an anxiety mindset coach. I'm a naturopath, a nutritionist, and a hypnotherapist, as you mentioned. And so, What I really love to do is look at anxiety, especially the high functioning anxiety. This is our sort of overdrive of doing and needing to be perfect and the the pressure we place on ourselves that can often grind really good hearted, beautiful people into the ground, into burnout, because we're just putting so much pressure on ourselves. And so I look at this from a holistic perspective, because honestly, it is a holistic issue. We have to consider not just like uh, as much as breathing exercises can be really beneficial. And I teach that to my clients too. We can't just breathe our way out of anxiety. We also have to look at our relationships, how we're relating to others. Our gut health plays a role, our hormones, our nutritional status, all sorts of things. And it's certainly something that I'm happy to explore wherever you want to take it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of skepticism around hypnotherapy and I almost forget about it because I'm so in awe of the power of the work and that's all I'm really immersed in. But people keep reminding me that people don't believe in it or trust it or whatever it might be. Maybe we're a bit afraid because we see stage hypnotists, it's a different thing, Um, you know, getting people to cluck like a chicken and, you know, fall in love with a fire hydrant and all of these (laughs) crazy wacky things. But totally different. I mean, it's using... A similar process. What they'll do with stage hypnotists is they'll pick the one in 10 people who are highly receptive to suggestions, highly suggestible. Um, They're the ones that will go into an extra deep trance and really you can potentially do these things. I'm not trained to do that stuff. I don't do that with my clients. I use my powers for good. (laughs) And it's not even my powers. At the end of the day, just like when you do a guided meditation, you're in control. You're choosing to breathe when the guided you know, the person guiding you says breathe on the, on the meditation track. So it's a very similar thing, but what happens with hypnotherapy is that when we're in this state of hypnosis, the brain's in what's called an alpha brainwave state. 
And, you know, like day to day when you try to talk a friend up or someone you love and you say, hey, you're amazing. Like, why are you doubting yourself? Look at your achievements. You're beautiful. You have such a great heart. People love to be around you. And we have this inner critic that says, no, like that's not true. I'm not letting that in. When someone says that to us or you can see that in people you love, they'll deflect it. They'll say, oh, no, it's I'm nothing special. Oh, it's only because I had my hair done at the hairdressers today. That's why I look good. You know, like we we don't let it in. In hypnosis with the alpha brainwave state, we actually can. We go back to a similar brain state to what we had when we were between the ages of zero and seven years old, where we are predominantly in this alpha brainwave state. We're literally just sponges to the environment around us. And we will often let in not so helpful ideas about ourselves too. Maybe we're criticized, maybe a parent well-meaning says something to us that they thought was not that big a deal or, you know, something that you should be able to handle. Maybe they gave you a job to do that you were actually too young to be able to do, giving you responsibilities that um, weren't really appropriate, even though they thought it was or whatever it might be. And so, again, it's so important as another piece of the anxiety puzzle to go back to all of those key moments when we were younger, when we were these sponges just absorbing all of this stuff, this meaningless stuff that we honestly made us feel something, made us feel unsafe, made us feel doubt in ourselves, made us think, oh, everyone keeps telling me I'm the shy, quiet one, or everyone keeps telling me I'm not as good as my sister, or I'm not as, as uh, you know, athletic as my brother, like, whatever it might be, we start to think, oh, so I'm not the athletic one, or I'm not the smart one, maybe I'm the dumb one, maybe someone was hypercritical, they always picked you on the moments where you fumbled, or you fell, or you failed, and they said, well, it's a, you got an A on that test, but where's the A+. Plus? Where did you get the thing wrong? And sometimes that's right. And and sometimes like this can be thought of as, oh, I was just, you know, I was well-intended. I was trying to encourage this person. I thought I just want them to be their best. But criticism is not the way to encourage someone. So we can look at all this stuff and instead of just like having that absorbed unconsciously, We can start to actively, consciously choose what we want to believe about ourselves. And so when I say to someone, you're actually a good person, it goes in and it sinks into that deeper level. Yeah, it's so powerful. Exactly. What we do is, I mean, it's actually quite easy to break limiting beliefs once we take the time and the space to do it. And you have someone guiding you who can help guide you to the logic that breaks through it. So we can see, you know, when you understand something like you understand consciously that, you know, it's a good idea to get up and exercise and, you know, go to the gym, but there might be this voice in your head in the morning that goes when you're ready to like put your runners on, your sneakers on and put the gym clothes on and get going kind of says, Oh, I don't really feel like it. Oh, like, I don't know if I can be bothered. Even though consciously, you know, this self-sabotage kind of thing comes in and it might be with exercise. It could be with so many things, right? It could be with discipline around our work or um, remembering to take your vitamins or your supplements, like whatever it is. And what happens, (laughs) what happens is 
consciously we know better, but subconsciously there's these automatic programs playing out. And so again, with hypnosis, we can start to break down what's going on at that subconscious level. It's really fascinating. And we can start to see, okay, well, this, whatever it is, maybe there's a belief of I'm not worth taking care of. Maybe it's an I'm not worthy kind of thing. And so subconsciously, you're just playing out this automated process, sabotaging your efforts to actually treat yourself in a valuable high, like treat yourself like a precious, valuable person. And until we kind of address that, we can't change a lot of our our habits. It's really difficult, even though we know better. That's where that frustrating cycle comes in. So if we literally can just show someone with logic, like we go back to, okay, what's at the root? What Like, where did this beliefs start to come out that you can't be the person that gets up and goes to the gym every day. And we say, oh, hang on, you were always told you're not worthy or felt and believed that you're not worthy. Let's just, I'm just saying that as an example. I have no idea what someone's belief is going to be until we get there because it's like different for everyone, but it's usually some version of I'm not, I'm not good enough or I'm not enough in some way. And we can show that person, well, you made that, you came to that conclusion when you were five years old, when you'd only been on the planet for such a short amount of time. And you're taking that advice from someone who honestly, like, is that someone you really want to take that sort of advice from? Do you respect them? Do you want to be like them? Most of the time now as adults, yeah, most of the time now as adults, we don't. Um, We're kind of like, oh, actually like, they were just being really highly critical and I don't really want to be like that person. I'm not like that person and I'm proud of who I am. And then when we kind of take it like that and we see, okay, well, that's the person that was telling you you're not good enough. Now it's pretty easy with logic to break through. But until you have that dialogue at the subconscious level in that alpha brainwave state, you're just not creating that deep level of change because we're not hooked up to our inner child and speaking to that younger part of ourselves that was so heard. Mm. Yeah, the the hypnotherapy sessions or my private sessions with clients often go two hours, but sometimes they're even longer. I sit with people until we're done. So it can be up to four hours. And I can do this usually because I've left the time in my schedule, but also often I'm working with clients in the evening and I put them to bed, which is a great time to do the work because their brain is naturally more on that winding down time of day. Middle of the day can be, well, you can still get there. It still works, but it's just a little bit more like we're active, we're thinking, we're at our sort of highest zone of activity. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing because talk therapy and it can be brilliant and often, you know, you have amazing insights, but you're on the conscious level still. So you can understand, oh, my inner child is so hurt because I had this inconsistent parent who was sometimes there, but not always there. And actually I've just realized because we don't realize these things that was traumatic, right? Like often we don't want to use those labels. We have been told or we reflect and we go, I had a good childhood. Everything was good. Or maybe it's pretty obvious that there were some things, but we all have stuff that happened that shaped us, you know, and it can be the most subtle things. And this is what's really fascinating. It's not always literally somebody like you can't miss it. Someone punched you in the face. Like those kind of things we often think of as traumatic childhood kind of things. Maybe that happened, but it, but emotional abuse is so subtle and can be, you know, rife through, through things. And just sometimes we just say something careless, you know, and it could be from a really loving parent. They just happen to have their own stuff going on. Maybe they've got body image issues and then they projected that onto you because they have the problem. So they say to you, you know, oh, darling, like, are you, are you, you're eating a lot, you know? are you sure you want to keep eating that? And then next thing you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm eating too much. And then this can cascade into a whole belief system around that that can, you know, at worst lead to a a, a pretty intense eating disorder. So uh, why we love hypnotherapy so much, I work with clients through a four-month program, but in the scheme of your life, four months is not a very long time. And we do have a series of sessions together, kind of like what you described. So we'll have a few weeks in between the sessions so we can dig up the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. But usually once we've done that, that's it. We don't need to keep going back for talk therapy. I want clients to be able to graduate from needing me because you can literally stay in therapy for 10 years, 20 years, your whole life. Can stay on medication your whole life. Not that there's any judgment around that. You've got to do what you've got to do. And life's really hard. I get it. And we're also not educated on what our options are. But I'm very proud to have a program that people can move through and basically graduate from it and, and not need me anymore. And it's nice to have the book out there now that's almost like a it, it, you know, it really maps up out so much of the process we move through in three months. It's a 12-week program. Um, but at least that's a much uh, easier access point for so many people to have that information too. Yeah, I think three weeks ago now, yeah. Well, I would say my clients all have access to all of this information and extras as well. I mean, we have meditations and we're really applying it, you know, in a different way, but the book 
gives you everything you need. Um, If that works for you and you can read through it and actually take action on the steps, you will see results. So for me, it was a way of giving back. I have a podcast that, you know, is one way I can give back to people and help them access this information because, as you said, therapy is not cheap. Even if you are getting the Medicare rebates, it's not cheap. Um, So, like, there's so much there that I would love to help people get to that place where they can feel good about themselves and and see that what's possible, that we don't have to live our lives with anxiety controlling us. Um, We get to master it. We get to be the one in control. And once you understand some key principles about how your anxious mind works and you can kind of catch it and you can kind of hear it say all or nothing, or you can hear it keep saying to you more, 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 or I've got to find another problem to solve, or you hear it critiquing you because that's what anxious minds do. You can start to dismiss that as mind garbage that I don't have to take in. And then you get to make a conscious choice. Well, I want to choose something different for myself. I want to start telling myself I'm a wonderful person and life's getting better and better for me. And guess what? Whatever you tell yourself sets the blueprint and that's what you create for your life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Totally. And you speak to, I'm so glad you shared that story because it really helps contextualize what I have to say next. And that is that In that situation where you are experiencing this crippling anxiety that is seriously stopping you from being able to function in your life, 100% 
you can overcome that. You can reach a totally different baseline and especially panic attacks, that sort of thing. Um, I see it time and time again, because people do come to me with that level of anxiety as well. And hypnotherapy can be a fantastic way to work with it. Learning though, also things like simple things like balancing your blood sugar, having regular meals, you know, working with your body in ways that don't set, don't create the environment where you're so easily triggered by life as well. But then there's this like, because it's, I'm very careful about saying to people, we can just get rid of and cure anxiety altogether. Because as you mentioned, there can be some anxiety, but it fits within a different range. Now it fits within a different level of severity and frequency, which is so much more, uh, it makes life so much more enjoyable because we'll always have some degree of anxiety. Like it's a, a state we can move into, you know, if you have a near miss accident with the car or you experience, uh, I don't know, an unexpected tax bill or something, you can experience some anxiety, but we kind of want some anxiety there because gosh, if I've got to survive a near miss like car situation, I want to be able to use my reflexes. I want to think clearly. I want to be able to take action. And equally, if I'm in a, say a a relationship with any person, not just romantic, and I'm sensing something off and I don't feel safe with this person and they're crossing my boundaries, I want some anxiety there to tell me that. You know, anxiety can communicate so much wisdom to us as well. So when we see it from that perspective, we become less afraid of experiencing it. And then when it does pop up and you have an anxious moment or a few hours or maybe a day or a few days, it's that experience of, oh, I know what this is and what is it trying to tell me? And okay, I have some clear things I can take action on now so that this doesn't have to keep going and ruling my life. And it's very clear why it's here. Thank you, anxiety. (laughs) I get the message, right? And from there, um, we just have that control. And so anxiety kind of doesn't come up the same way in the same frequency or the same severity. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, it's so multifaceted, Tommy. So I would say I often see some experience from childhood playing in, even when someone says, no, I had a perfectly good childhood. Um, It's just so formative of how we see the world and how we see ourselves. So we're not born as babies, like criticizing ourselves and thinking, I don't deserve stuff and I'm not worthy. When we're babies, we just scream out when we're hungry and we expect someone to come and feed us. Like we ask for our needs to be met and we receive them. So where's that messaging change at some point in our lives where we don't feel like it's okay to receive what we need. So childhood is a pretty big one, but of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that impact how we feel 
just day to day in terms of how we look after our bodies. And I commonly see a link between gut health and anxiety because our gut tends to reflect what's happening in our state of mind. I don't know if you've noticed before, but if you're, if you have that anxious state of mind, or perhaps when you were having those more intense episodes of anxiety, you would notice that your digestive system was impacted by that. So for some people, it's literally like everything just goes straight through me. Or for others, it's like everything just stops altogether and you don't get much movement happening through your bowels, which can also be really uncomfortable. Equally, often people say I've got this diagnosis of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and they've had like tests and things <laughs> maybe too. It's quite common. And Often with IBS, we see a lot of bloating. People just think this is totally normal. Some degree of bloating can be normal from time to time through our lives. But if you're experiencing it like pretty frequently, almost every day, this is usually a sign of something else. Um, Often it's called SIBO, small intestinal bowel overgrowth, which is becoming more and more prevalent and common. And it's essentially where the bacteria that are meant to live in our large intestine come and start living in our small intestine. And that causes a whole lot of issues, um, including bloating and this pain that we can kind of experience as well. And there's a treatment for that. And so when we actually can detect that and treat it, then we can experience relief. And commonly it's a bit chicken or the egg. It's like, did the anxiety cause the gut issues or did the gut issues cause the anxiety? Yeah, um, I tend to think anxiety is usually there as, uh, you know, for so many people it's like I've been anxious as long as I can remember. I'm an anxious, highly strung kind of person. This is just how I am. Usually a lot of that starts in childhood and can be a a manifestation of like that stress and anxiety kind of building through our lifetime, which then makes our gut more susceptible. As I said, we can get these changes in how things move through our digestive system. Um, It changes if we're stressed, we're not going to be producing our stomach acid, our digestive enzymes, our digestion kind of switches off. And we go into fight or flight mode because if you are in that emergency zone, you need to go, you've come across the tiger in the woods and you need to go run away. Your body does not need to prioritize a very energy intense process of digesting food. So instead, it's going to divert all the, the nutrients, all the blood flow, all the oxygen to your hands, to your limbs, to your arms. So you can run away and fight or fight this thing if you need to. Um, sometimes we also experience freeze. That's another experience of the nervous system in those situations. And in all of them, our digestion just switches off and we don't get blood flow around that area. And that's why we experience these symptoms. So that's one way that the anxiety itself can lead to the gut issues. But the way that the gut itself can impact anxiety and also where we have a lot of control because we can, you know, tangibly, I think sometimes we think, how do I stop these barrages of like waves of, you know, freaking out? It can feel so much more tangible to think, oh, I can take a probiotic and I'm helping the anxiety. So basically there's three key ways that this works. Um, One is called our vagus nerve, and this is the big nerve highway that connects our brain to our gut. And the vagus nerve can be manipulated in a positive way uh, to send uh, a calming message to our, our brain and help us to relax. 
And some ways that people trigger the vagus nerve can be bitter foods, for example, like lemon juice, uh, apple cider vinegar, rocket leaves, anything that you typically didn't like as a child, that bitter taste, maybe that's broccoli, kale, um, stimulates that. It makes you salivate. So anything that makes you produce saliva in your mouth is going to be triggering the vagus nerve and help calm you down. So this is one way we can take charge of our gut health to calm our mind. I know it's a cool one. You should give it a go. It also helps to enhance our digestion because things will start moving. It's kind of like an on switch, switching the cut, the, the key in the ignition for the car, turning the engine on, getting things started because when you're salivating, your gut's hit receiving this, the um, message that, okay, digestion's on, time to get to work, there's food coming, then the stomach produces stomach acid, we get digestive enzymes produced and it all is working better. Now, yeah, apple cider vinegar. But, and I explain this in the book, um, a mistake a lot of people make is having it on an empty stomach and having it straight. So if we do that, we can often make ourselves sick and want to vomit. Like if I literally took some apple cider vinegar right now, I'd be dry retching in moments. So we... A lot of upset, <laughs> a lot of upset stomachs. So dilute with water. If you imagine you had like a shot glass and you had a third of that shot glass was with, full of apple cider vinegar, you'd want to do two thirds with water and dilute it. And then you're not going to get the same impact as just straight on an empty stomach, apple cider vinegar. You can still have it on an empty stomach, but just make sure it's diluted. So that's your apple cider vinegar. That that can literally calm an anxious moment. It's going to send the signal to your body. We're moving out of fight or flight. Now we're coming back into rest and digest mode. Uh, so that's nice to know you've got that trick up your sleeve. The other way the gut can impact our mind is dependent on the balance of the gut bacteria. The bacteria in our gut are so sensitive to all sorts of ways that we live our lives, whether we're taking certain medications, the diet we eat, um, the alcohol we consume, our sleep, everything impacts our gut microbiome, good or bad, depending on how we take care of ourselves. And so if we're taking good care of our gut bacteria, our microbiome, what happens is these chemical messengers travel up the vagus nerve and tell our brain it's time to be chill. It's easier to self-regulate yourself. It's easier to calm your own mind. So when you do when you do have this consistent um, damage happening to the gut bacteria or the microbiome isn't as balanced as it could be, basically you're just in a more sensitive environment. Your, your mind is a bit more vulnerable and it's harder to calm yourself down. It's harder to think clearly. So we can take care of our gut microbiome in all sorts of ways. Eating lots of fresh fruit and vegetables with the skin on is a great way to do that. Fiber feeds your gut bacteria. And the third way that our gut can impact our mind is through regulating levels of inflammation. Now, I'm a naturopath, and what that means is we look at the body from a holistic perspective, but in summary, everything comes back to the gut. <laughs> it all comes back to the gut. Even skin and psoriasis and autoimmune conditions are all regulated by our gut because we actually have 70 to 80% of our immune system living just under the lining of our gut. And all this immune tissue is influenced by how happy our gut is. And so 
what can happen is if we have some degree of inflammation at the lining of our gut, and this could be from, uh, you know, excessive alcohol intake, um, frequently, you know, certain medications, um, maybe you are unwell for some reason, maybe you've, you've got a parasite, maybe you've been, you know, you've, you were never right ever since you went to Bali that time, three, five years ago, and you've noticed that there's this kind of, there was this change to your gut after that. It's those key moments that can potentially create this inflammation and stress and anxiety creates it too, (laughs) can create inflammation. And I'm talking like, not like open wound inflammation. We're talking about at the cellular level. It's very mild. It's very small. You can't see it, but it's happening. And when there is inflammation at the lining of the gut, it essentially mirrors the fact that there's inflammation going on at the lining of our brain, our blood brain barrier as well. And if there's inflammation in our brain, that's going to also impact how readily we can regulate chemicals that change our mood and get us feeling calm and relaxed. Uh, So slight inflammation in our brain can make that more challenging. And we can put this into, you know, you can think about it like when you haven't slept well or you've got a brain fog or because you've eaten some, you know, really garbage food and you're just feeling this sense of, oh, that's kind of what I'm talking about just on a chronic low level. And if we can reduce that, we're thinking more clearly, we can make decisions more readily. Um, We're just going to be functioning better as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, if that is like your coping mechanism uh, is emotional eating or something, you know, anyone listening, there's so many coping mechanisms out there that, you know, it could be, it could be sex, it could be porn, it could be online shopping, it could be smoking, it could be alcohol. Uh, We all have something, but it doesn't really matter what the thing is. It's all about what we're trying to escape. And usually we're trying to escape a restless, uncomfortable feeling. Could be sadness, could be anger but often at some degree of anxiety. You know, I think we've all had that moment where you feel a bit like restless and you just want to make it stop. And you know, if you just have like the cookie or you just have the glass of wine, you're going to feel that relief, right? It's it's normal to some degree, but when we're experiencing that to the level where it's impacting our health and our relationships and our quality of life, um, that's another story. And emotional eating is one of the most common because we're shown that in pop culture in, you know, that classic idea of like, you've gone through a breakup, here's the tub of ice cream and children, you know, fall over, here's the lollipop, right? But it's so true. And so we learn, ah, if I feel sad, yes, exactly. And it's so normalized, right? But ultimately it's just encouraging us not to feel what's underneath, not to feel our feelings. And all of this stuff goes back to childhood stuff as well. (laughs) So it's, worth being compassionate to yourself and to others who are experiencing that. If you watch someone you love that maybe they always complain about their weight and then you watch them, you know, eating the tub of ice cream in front of the TV, don't snatch that away from them. Don't judge them and shame them for that and say, oh, you say you want to lose weight, but look at what you're doing. You might just guide their awareness, but they're probably already aware. They probably already feel the shame and the guilt and that doesn't help. What helps is understanding that that person's in pain. And they're trying to escape some uncomfortable feelings. And we could really all be a bit more supportive to each other than jumping into judgment.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly it's seen as a reward and a and a relief out of pain and our that's our thing it's like how else can we deal with our pain without having to like harm ourselves in the process Yeah. Hey, it's tough. It's a tough journey. Like <laughs> hmm. That's a really great question. Usually the body's communicating to us through various symptoms. So chronic headaches or skin issues, autoimmune stuff going on, any kind of uh, immune related issue. Uh, you won't hear this usually from our, uh, the classic kind of doctor only because they're just not trained in it, but there is plenty of evidence to explain the link. Um, if we're getting allergies, seasonal allergies, there's a lot of talk. I don't know how, what they say, or what you've noticed in Sydney about this, but in Melbourne, it's a lot of like Melbourne's one of the allergy capitals of the world. And people, a lot of people get terrible hay fever through spring, but is it that the, you know, air has gotten worse or pollen is worse or whatever it might be, or is it that our gut health as a society is getting worse and worse with the way we're living? I mean, I think it, it could be one or the other. I'm not sure, but this, these, these signs are telling us that actually there's something happening with the gut and you don't always have to have obvious symptoms. A lot of us are like used to just what's normal for us. So, you know, if you're used to having really loose stools, every time you go to the bathroom every day, you're just going to think that's normal as opposed to understanding that, you know, ideally we want this to be well-formed and, um, certain, certain consistency, right. That's, that's suggestive of health, but you know, we, we don't know, we don't talk about it. You know, no one wants to talk about this stuff. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I look, usually what's going to happen is when we're in our twenties and our teens, we can get away with all of that and our bodies bounce back pretty quickly. And as we get that little bit older, maybe from even like sometimes from 25 onwards, we start to notice a few things, not 
Yeah, <laughs> everything not quite functioning just the same way. And we can't just go trash our bodies and then like get a good night's sleep and wake up and feel fine. Um, so over time, we might notice that again, it's, it's these, these issues are popping up. You're just, you're getting chronic headaches or your, your immune system, you know, you're getting colds and you're getting sick all the time, or you just don't have the energy levels. All of this stuff will suggest something happening with the gut because literally the gut is where all of our health begins. It's so important. It's important for our mind. It's important for our hormone balance as well. Um, so many things are regulated through our gut. It's even where we eliminate, we don't often think of it like this, but we think of the liver as kind of cleansing and clearing and detoxing the body, but our, our bowel motions are literally us cleansing our body as well. So if you are say blocked up for a week, um, because you've eaten certain food or you, you haven't been sleeping or taking care of yourself, um, that's going to mean that there's a whole lot of stuff stored up in you as well that, um, can long-term lead to things. So your, you will, your gut will tell you, your body will tell you eventually when it's, it's kind of not handling the stress of the alcohol on the weekend and all the rich food. And then going back to sort of, even if you do sort of fluctuate, um, you might notice that even though you're kind of eating really well, you've still got the bloating. Um, you've still got some IBS type symptoms lingering even despite that. So these are some ways that we can kind of understand it, but typically our body will tell us what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, I, okay. So there's a few really common ones and it depends on the person that like, what's the most pressing issue, but I would say super duper common is have we looked at caffeine? Have, have you asked yourself, is this caffeine actually impacting me? A lot of us don't want to face the truth. We don't want to think that our beautiful like coffee that we love, we look forward to every morning could be impacting us. But until you've taken a break, you really don't know. And so I guide people through this. That's part of what we go through in my client work. And also in the book, there's a whole section on how to do this and why it's so important. But essentially caffeine is just adding fuel to the fire. And even if you don't notice the impact, the second you have the coffee, you may be impacted with your sleep quality on the other side. Uh, there are all sorts of studies to show that coffee, a caffeine consumption does amplify our stress response. So you might not notice that it's making you feel anxious straight after, but let's say you get that stressful email from work. Instead of your response being uh, a five out of 10 stress, it might be magnified to an eight out of 10 stress because of that caffeine. So we just have to ask ourselves, our, our nervous system's already jacked up and stimulated and yeah, do we need to have this? So tea... Black tea contains about half of the caffeine that a standard coffee does. So it's, it is better because it's less caffeine, but if you're wanting to see that baseline and say, okay, how does my body function without any coffee at all, or any caffeine, the best thing to do is to go get rid of all of it for a period of time and then slowly bring things back in.
Exactly. And also seeing, does it feel like it's enhanced when you do have the caffeine? I know. Unfortunately, I am the bearer of bad news when it comes to how I talk about coffee. But look, some people will find that they go through that and then they can bring it back in and that it's okay or it's manageable or, but almost everyone I do this with has less on the other side, or they only have it on the weekend when they're actually having a relaxing Sunday morning and they're not having, you know, work stress and other things come up for them. So you know, it's, it can be quite revolutionary if you can go there in your mind as like a stone you haven't turned over yet in terms of your search for looking at what could help your anxiety. Uh, so caffeine is a big one and we have to look at it and there is a, an art to doing it. It's really nice when you have support as you go through that as well. The other element that I think is super crucial is our sleep. Sleep matters so much and really taking care to put the extra 30-minute window in around bedtime to wind down, take care of yourself, get yourself, your melatonin levels increasing. That's our sleep hormone. We do need to stay away from screens and we do need to use all our different blue light blocking like strategies that we can, whether it's the glasses or the um, or the apps you can use that kind of dim the the blue light, but equally one of the best things you can do is just hang out in the dark or hang out in really dim light before bed. It will boost your melatonin and get you sleeping better. Yeah, honestly, anyone can benefit from hypnotherapy and it doesn't have to be just in the pursuit of anxiety relief because it's all about whatever we feel in our lives is about the pictures we make in our mind and the story we tell about it. Uh, So you can literally shift your experience of your life and your emotional experience using hypnotherapy. We see a lot of amazing uh, evidence around athletes using it to amplify their performance. They, they visualize themselves winning the, winning the race or winning the match or doing something amazing. And it happens. We can do that in entrepreneurship as business people if we wanting if we're wanting to have the confidence to go for the next level in our career be a leader I do a lot of that work with my clients too because a lot of them are amazing heart-centered leaders they just need the support and the confidence and the mindset of I can do this and when we do that we're we're damn well unlimited there's nothing we can't do and it's amazing to see 
human potential unlocked. That is what hypnotherapy really does. It releases our blocks and then it helps us accelerate forward wherever we want to go. Yeah. I am. I'm a bit of a digital nomad though. I sort of, I spend a lot of time in Bali, a lot of time in all sorts of places, but yes, I'm Melbourne origin. <laughs> yes. I see clients all, it's all online, which is pretty cool. So I'm, did you do your hypnotherapy in person? Oh, over Skype. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So see, there's so much we can do. And a lot of people don't realize that's an option as well. But thank you so much, Tommy. It's been such a pleasure connecting with you.